Hey, welcome to King's Church. My name is Dylan. I have the honor of leading King's. And if you're new to this community, I just want to invite you right off the bat to join this community. We're a brand new church in the heart of Kansas City, and we are building a team of people who want to help us make a difference in Kansas City. If you want to join that team, send me a text. Just say, hey, Dylan, I'm interested in learning more. That's my personal number on the screen. Would love to connect with you. Also, huge shout out to those of you who have given generously. This upcoming Monday, tomorrow, we are we have taken a crew of people to the store. We're going to buy over $1,500 worth of hygiene kits to serve local families in need. That is your generosity at work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're helping us to serve this city well. As always, if you want to give, you can go to www.kingschurchkc.com give and help us make a difference in this city. Finally, if you're not in a small group, I want to ask you, get in a small group group. I I tell you, there's nothing like Christian community that has impacted my life, whether it's my relationship, my career, my my marriage, my walk with God, my my joy, my attitude. I can't think of an area in my life that has not been impacted by Christian community. If you're not in a small group, get in a group. Simply text that number on the screen, groups, and we'll get you connected up this week. Listen, if you haven't noticed, we live in a polarized society. It doesn't matter if you're talking political issues, social issues, even in the church. Our society seems to be built on this idea of us versus them. Democrats versus Republicans, white versus black, vaccine versus anti-vaccine, even COVID-19. Some people think that, that the impact on the economy is worse than the impact, the potential health risk. And so they're saying, listen, we got to reopen this thing sooner. Other people are saying that's selfish, that we need to slow down. We need to continue to quarantine to protect those who are immune compromised and elderly. I'm a parent, I'll tell you, there's even division in the parenting community, whether it's natural birth versus medicated birth or homeschool versus public school, everywhere you look, there is division. And the church can be just as bad. Dr. King famously said 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in America. Listen, to the church's shame, that is still true 52 years later. And this is not just race. The church historically has allowed any difference to divide. Difference in worship style, preaching style, carpet color, old church, young church, middle-aged church, middle-class church, upper-class church, white church, black church, Chinese church, Latino church. I can go on and on and on. And yet Jesus prayed in John 17, his longest recorded prayer. He prayed for one thing. Four times he prayed for one thing. It's the only thing he's ever prayed four times. What was it? It was simply this, that we would be one as God is one. That that our love, our unity, our faith would, would be so united that we would reflect the unity that is in God himself. Yet in America, we have over 200 denominations of Christianity, 200 divisions of the body of Christ. Friends, let me look you in the eyes and say, this must stop. Something must change. If we're ever going to be a prophetic voice in the world, showing the world that Jesus is the hope of the world, something must change. And it starts with us. It starts with us, us determining that we will not pledge allegiance to our comforts or preferences, that we will not allow secondary issues to become dividing lines in the sand. It starts with us putting our hope not in our ideology of how the world should work, not even in what we think about certain issues, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in His coming kingdom. The way we display the hope of Jesus to the world is through our unity. And unity, we will see today, is the prerequisite for God's presence, God's blessing, and our fruitfulness as a church in society. And listen, this is so much harder than we often admit, which is why Jesus spent a whole chapter in John 17 praying for our unity. 
So I'm going to just take a pause here before we move on in the message, and I'm going to pray for us that we would be a church in a city that is united. If you join me by bowing your heads, maybe putting your hands together and asking God to bless us with the gift of unity. It's something only He can do, and we need Him to do it in this time. God, help us. We need You, Holy Spirit. We need You to help us live as Jesus has called us to live, to be one as You are one. We need You to give us a vision for unity, to give us Your love for one another, a love that transcends difference. God, we know that you've called us to one, that you've purchased our unity on the cross. I pray that we would make the decision to live in unity, to fight for unity, to pray for unity, to pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray. Listen, I want to talk to you by, by I want to start talking to you about the blessing of unity. There is a blessing and unity. If we don't understand the blessing of unity, we'll never have the motivation to pursue unity because this is hard work. It's not hard work when you're always with people who think like you and look like you and act like you, but it is hard work if we truly want to build a church that is multi-ethnic, that, is, that has a large degree of difference in our socioeconomic and age and all these different things. If we want to build a church like that, that looks like heaven, this is hard work. We need to be motivated by the blessing of unity. If you, if you turn with me to Psalm 133, the author of uh, this psalm writes this, says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. If you want something good and pleasant in your life, we need to seek unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The two similes given are oil on Aaron's beard and dew on Hermon, Mount Hermon. These are amazing illustrations in the time they were given, but my guess is we don't go around talking about the oil on Aaron's beard or the dew on the Mount of Hermon very often in our day-to-day. So I'm going to help us out. The, the oil on Aaron's beard. Oil was poured on a priest's head to consecrate or set them apart for service to God. It's a, it's a physical act to represent a spiritual anointing. When the Spirit of God descends on Jesus at his baptism, there's a sign from God that Jesus has been set apart for God's work. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit falls upon the church, signifying that they have been set apart for God's work. Aaron is Moses' brother. He was a great man of faith. He also had great failures. He repented and received forgiveness. And when it came time for God to appoint a leader among the priests, God chose Aaron. This is a picture of God's mercy that he chose Aaron. Before we even get to the blessing of unity, I just want to stop right here and say, listen, whatever you have done, no matter how you've messed up, God is not done with you. It's not too late. You, you cannot be too far gone, too far gone, excuse me, too far gone for God. And Aaron proves this. Jesus died for you. He conquered death so that you could be made right with God, so that you could walk in God's plan for your life. So don't wait another moment at the end of this message. I'm going to give you an opportunity to turn to faith in Jesus. I want to encourage you to take that step. A priest was someone who stood between God and man to mediate the relationship between God and man. The, the priest offered sacrifices for his own sins, but also the sins of the people to seek God's forgiveness and ask God's blessing on the people. Well, Aaron and his descendants were given the role of priesthood. And listen, I don't want you to miss this. If Aaron could mess up that bad, if he could mess up that bad and God would still appoint him and all of his descendants to the role of high priest, to the most distinguished role in the Jewish society, what could God do with your life? 
Listen, I know some people who are listening to this, you're called to minister to kids in the city, some of you to heal marriages, others to disciple youth, others to serve the poor, some to bring freedom to those enslaved in sex trafficking, others to heal racial divides, others to foster and adopt, others to lead churches, others to go on overseas missions. Whatever the call of God on your life is, I just want you to know it is not dependent on your perfection. It's dependent on the perfection of Jesus Christ. We want to help you discover your gifts and get started using them to bless other people. So send us a text. Text Discover Purpose to that number on the screen, and we will help you get connected to God's purpose for your life. In the ceremony to appoint Aaron as high priest, Moses poured oil over Aaron's head. And if the oil ran down his face and dripped from his beard and went into his collar, that's a sign that it's an abundance of oil, representing an abundance of God's blessing and presence upon Aaron for the work. If you've never prayed, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit to do what you've called me to do. I would encourage you to pause right now and pray that prayer. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit to do the work you have called me to do. That's what happened to the church in Acts chapter 2. And the world was never the same. And guess what the immediate result of the Holy Spirit falling on the church in Acts chapter 2 was? You know what happened? They were united. Thousands of people, dozens of languages, the barriers could not have been greater, and yet they all heard the same message, the wonderful works of God. How'd they get there? Well, just before that miracle happened, another miracle happened. 120 believers were in an upper room, men and women, Jew and Gentile, zealous, zeals and tax collectors, people who were at war with each other before Jesus. Now they're praying together in an upper room, likely a rooftop, praying with one united voice. Unity is the prerequisite for God's presence. It is also the result of God's presence. Secondly, the Dew of Hermon. Hermon is a high snow-capped mountain at the northern end of the land. As we know, vegetation and life cannot exist without water. Dew is a symbol. God's saying, I'm going to so bless you that you will live in an atmosphere of blessing. Oil is God's presence and power. Dew is God's favor and a productive life. Both of these are the effects of brothers dwelling in unity. That is the blessing of unity. But there are some barriers to our unity. Number one, we have a spiritual enemy who we see in John chapter 10, verse 10, is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. One of his main methods is division. 1 Peter 5, 8 says he is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Revelation 12, 10 says he is literally accusing believers day and night. It's the only thing the Bible says the devil is doing day and night is accusing the brethren. Constantly accusing, pointing his finger, shaming, condemning, dividing. That's his scheme. That's what he's doing day and night. Night. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, We can resist the devil and he will flee from us if we draw near to God. Revelation 12, 11 says, We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But notice it says, It's our testimony. That's an our like us, not an our like mine. It's not your testimony, Dylan, or your testimony. No, it's our testimony. Well, guess what, friends? We can't have our testimony if there's no us. Unity is the only way. It's essential to us overcoming the schemes of the devil against us personally and against the church corporately. This is not just keeping the peace. This is a spiritual battle. Second enemy we have, the second barrier to our unity is our own sinfulness. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Listen, if you don't think you're sinful by nature, just take a look at your thought life, your spending habits, your calendar, Reflect on what makes you angry and what causes you to snap. 
Martin Luther famously said, the heart is in curvatus. It's curved in on itself. It means we all at our core are seeking to make life better for ourselves. We're self-centered beings. That is the nature of our sinfulness. Yet God has said that his purpose for our life is to glorify him by serving other people. It's our sinfulness that causes us to divide. It's our sinfulness that causes us to choose ourselves instead of preferring the other. Those are the barriers to unity, our enemy and our sinfulness. But Ephesians chapter 2, it doesn't end there. It goes on to tell us about the blood-bought path to unity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. I, I can't help but just read this to you. It's such a beautiful passage. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments that is expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus accomplished more on the cross than just our forgiveness. It says on the cross, in his flesh, as he was being torn apart, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility that stood between us and God and stood between us and one another. He tore down the wall and he created something new in its place. This, this phrase, one new man, it comes from the Greek word for new. And there's two kind of Greek words for new. One means uh, new of its kind. So think iPhone 10. It's, it's, it's a better version of something that already exists. The, the other Greek word is kainos. Kainos is something new altogether. It's the first PC. It's the, it's the first man in flight. It's, 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 there's nothing like it the world's ever seen before. Jesus says, that is what I am creating, a new humanity that is identified not by the color of their skin or their political party or anything else that could divide, but they're identified by the blood of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Jesus says this unity that this community will have is like nothing the world has ever seen. And it's only possible by the blood-soaked cross of Jesus Christ. Only at the cross do we see a man dying for his enemies. Only at the cross do we see a man perfect and sinless. Perfect and sinless. Think about that. He's perfect and sinless. Yet he chose to not be like the accuser who points his finger. He didn't do that. No, no. He took our sin upon himself. The one who was sinless became sin on our behalf so that he might extend to us the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God. And he has called us to be like him. He said, don't put the nails in their hands. No, put the nails in my hands. Don't put the spear in their side. No, put it in my side. This is the ultimate act of love and forgiveness. He bought our unity with his blood, which is why it is such a shame when we divide and we spit upon that blood-bought unity through minor secondary issues, instead of standing together as he has called us to. Listen, unity requires forgiveness, receiving God's forgiveness and extending God's forgiveness. It also requires repentance. Two Hebrew words often translated to repentance. One is neham, which means to be sorry or to change one's mind. The other is sub, which means to turn back or return Repentance is to feel remorse, to, to be genuinely sorry. That's a feeling or a thought, but it's also an action. It's to turn back to God and to change our ways. Listen, I mean this when I say it. Jesus 
changes everything. He wants to bring us to repentance where we, we feel godly remorse for our sin, but He also wants to change our lives. So how do you repent? Well, who have you cast judgment on without first seeking to understand? When have you talked bad about someone behind their back? When have you judged them because of the color of their skin or the way they dress or the car they drive or the way they voted? Who's the person that you chose your preference and your comfort over them? Well, it starts with repenting, with turning away from that and turning to faith in God. Maybe it starts with going to that person and apologizing. They may not even know that you did it, but going to them and telling them, I'm sorry for the way I've been. Please forgive me. Jesus will forgive you. He'll also change you. The biblical illustrations for the church are a body, an army, a family, a new creation, a priesthood. Friends, none of these work if they're divided. What I love about the unity of the Christian is that it's not something that we are called to create. Jesus already created it. A quick flip through the New Testament, you'll see it never says, create unity, make unity, create peace. And it doesn't say that. No, it says, keep the unity, maintain the unity. He already purchased it on the cross. It's ours as a gift. Our call is simply to maintain it, to not mess it up. Okay, okay, Dylan, I get it. Unity is a big deal, but what do I do? Like how practically do I maintain the unity of Jesus? Well, three things. They're not the only three things, but they're three important things. Number one, a bended knee. Number two, broken bread. Number three, the bond of brotherhood, a bended knee. Jesus prayed for unity more than anything else. Can I ask you to do the same? This week, every day, at some point in your day, ask God for unity in your relationships, in our church, in Kansas City, in our nation. Ask God, God, give me unity. Don't let me be one who divides. Make me one who brings together. God, don't let me be one who, who casts judgment or pushes away or stands in my corner. But no, God, make me one who, who brings people together, who is for the cause of unity. Number two, the broken bread. The bread and the cup are two of the most powerful symbols we have as believers, given by Jesus to remind us of the work of Jesus on the cross, that we would never forget that he gave his life for our forgiveness and our unity. This week in every small group, we are breaking bread. Online groups, in-person groups, whatever you have. I don't care if you're breaking a burrito. I don't care if you're breaking a cre- We are going to break bread. We're going to receive the cup. And if you're not in a group, I just want to ask you, man, get in a group. You cannot live this life on your own. You cannot seek the unity we are commanded to pursue in Scripture and live, a spiritual, and live in spiritual isolation. Those two don't go together. You can only do this in Christian community. Watching services in your home and praying before you go to bed and at meals is not enough. He has called us to walk together. Please get in a group. If you can't find one, call me. I'll start one. Get in a group. Number three, the bond of brotherhood. A couple things here. Number one, we got to pursue each other. This is never going to happen if we just wait for the other person to take the step. We have to take the step and walk across the room. Wherever you're tempted to demonize or stereotype or put someone in a hole, just seek to understand, pursue, seek to love, draw near, have a compassionate heart, pray for them, pursue. Number two, repent. Acknowledge where we have divided the body of Christ. Acknowledge where we have allowed division in friendships and our marriage over minor things. And ask God to change our heart and tell the person that we're sorry. Number three, forgive. Forgiveness is given. It's a gift. It's not dependent on the other person. Jesus did not wait for us to get our act together before he offered forgiveness. He did so 
freely at no at, at a total cost to himself and no cost to us. Forgive freely. It doesn't matter if they deserve it. They don't even need to ask for it. Release yourself and them from the bondage that they're in. Forgive them. I'll let the Apostle Paul have the final words today. Philippians chapter 2, he says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, hear his plea. If there is any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Listen, this all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have one, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to take that step today. You can be forgiven today. You can experience a life with Jesus today. You can have hope today. And I mean this when I say Jesus will change everything in your life. He will rock your boat and more. And yet you will experience the greatest peace, the greatest joy, the greatest love you ever have in your life. Being a disciple is not about praying a prayer. Being a disciple is not about just adding Jesus onto our life. Being a disciple means I lay down my life before him and I receive the life that he offers to me. Being a disciple means I literally am taking up my cross and saying, Jesus, I want to live the rest of my life receiving your death and your resurrection and giving my life to follow you. If you're ready to take that step today, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. And if you're like, man, I'm not ready to take that step, but I want to learn more, send me a text, that number on the screen. I would love to help you get started. But if you are there today, simply repeat after me and pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe you are God's son. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And three days later, you rose from the dead. Please forgive me for all my sins. Please give me a new life with you. I commit my life to following you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to live the life you created me for. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, we are celebrating with you. Send us a text at that number. Say Jesus to 816-494-2425. We'll get you started. We'll follow up, give you some free resources to start your Christian life. Well, also, if you want to connect, send us a text at that number. As always, if you want to give, you can do so by going to that website. For those of you who are listening, maybe you didn't pray that prayer, but man, this is impacting you in some way. I just want to pray for you before we go. So if you'd maybe hold out your hands or close your eyes, whatever you do to connect with God, I want to pray for you before we go. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for their love and their faith. I, I pray, would you increase those gifts in our life? God, would you allow us? the gift of walking in unity, of knowing the joy and the blessing of unity. Give us the gift of repentance and faith today. And God, I pray, would we be one as you are one. In Jesus' name, amen.